Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode, Releasing the Tension, the Courage to Feel. I recorded this conversation a few months back with my dear friend, Greg Lavoie, a passionate living expert, workshop leader, and best-selling author. So we talk about bringing the temperature down, yeah, releasing that tension, and the courage to acknowledge what our feelings are, that we're angry, and to express emotions like anger that will be a healthy way for our relationships. We tell some stories of unconventional ways to release the tension and get the steam out of it and to bring perspective and get back to connection. And before we get on to that episode, I'd like to mention a workshop that my wife, Ivana Rainbow, and I are giving on Saturday, April 27th in Asheville, North Carolina, called The Power of Appreciation. It's a couples workshop. And in this workshop, you're going to learn the secrets of unlocking the power of appreciation in your relationships. Because folks, genuine appreciation, regardless of how simple or profound, has been proven to bring an immediate shift in the quality and closeness of loving relationships. So in this workshop, The Power of Appreciation, we will teach you the necessary skills and fundamental process of enriching your relationship with your partner and deepening the connection and enhancing the flow of positivity. To learn more about this workshop, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, and you can look at the show notes, and we'll give you hyperlinks and phone numbers to call to register. Hey, I also want to mention that those of you that are inclined to leave me a rating and review, especially on iTunes, my producers tell me that's a real good way to help spread the podcast. So I'd appreciate if you'd go and leave a review. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love having Greg on my show. We have a great conversation report. Enjoy. So, man, we're going to talk a little bit about some conversations that we've been having lately, just our own ways that we help bring the temperature down when we're triggered or flared up around relationship issues or other things, how to benefit our relationships ourselves by bringing the temperature down. Yep. A little bit of self-care. Yeah. So a lot of you ask me at times, how do I express my anger? Can I express my anger? Is that positive for me? Is it good for me? Is it healthy? Is there healthy ways to actually express it? That will bring the temperature down. Right. First, I suppose, acknowledging that you are angry and not trying to stuff it or, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, acknowledging it, that that's how you are and that's where you're at and not letting it infect the relationship. You know, snide remarks, little bits of contempt, uh, judgments that sneak out all the ways that that stuff just leaks out. Because there are ways to express 
anger in relationship that's not directly towards your partner and blame in criticism and the intensity of that anger can be very damaging for relationships. So there's also people in relationships that can make agreements of ways to express, to bring the temperature down that's beneficial for the relationship. Like you make agreements of what to do. You actually do that. Right? Now, this may be a slightly exaggerated example, but tell the story about the couple with the pillow. Yeah, well, oh, I learned it at, at Esalen, and, and my wife and I do that sometimes. When one of you are expressing intense anger, instead of doing it directly to your partner, because your partner's not gonna be able to hear it, they're feeling it, it's coming right in their body. There's an exercise that you can actually do, is instead of expressing it directly to the person, is that you put like a pillow, maybe 45 degrees, or four, yeah, 45 degrees to the side, and instead you start pretending your partner is on that pillow. So then my partner is actually looking at me expressing anger to an empty pillow, which I'm pretending is her. Like, I can't believe that you told me that and you didn't believe me. And I'm doing it to the pillow. The benefit of that is my partner is witnessing yeah. my expression, my frustration, my anger, because I want to be heard. I want to be witnessed. And this is a safe way to be able to do that. So she's not getting the direct yeah. brunt of it. And you're not holding it in your body. Right. You're getting it out. Because I think it gets toxic in there. It can just turn on you, that kind of energy. I mean, I've even heard people say that one of the primary components in depression is anger directed at the self rather than out. And you don't want to splatter it on people. You want to get it out of your body, out of your system. Here's another example. I mean, sometimes it's just at the level of go play the piano, Greg. Go take a long walk up a steep hill and get some energy out of you. Sometimes it's that. For some people, it's meditating, writing poetry, or whatever. Yeah, those are self-soothing techniques yeah. that also are not just exaggerated expression of contracted hard anger. Right, just where you, sometimes it's even just taking space from your partner, or even your work desk, or whatever. But then it, it goes up to things like, when I had to quit my job to be a freelance writer, I had to let go of regular paycheck and a pension coming in two years if I could hang in there, which I couldn't, prestige, and medical benefits. I mean, never mind that the only reason I was using them was my job was making me sick. <laughs> and I was freaked out about the financial aspects of becoming self-employed. And I went out into the woods, and I dug a hole in the ground with my bare hands, six, eight inches deep at least, and I screamed into it about my fear around money and my pissed offness around my right parents. in a hole you just screamed in and a hole and then i covered it over with dirt and i walked away wow. and i figured my body cannot handle this energy as well as the body of earth can <laughs> you know what i'm saying like the earth share take the burden earth. right and it was just cathartic as hell to get it out and maybe that's what this conversation is really about is in a sense catharsis so you can come back to your senses to get what's on the inside out to shake off some of the energy in the uh, animal world, and I'm getting this from Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger, yeah. about trauma, when they're traumatized by something, let's say they were chased by a lion, and they survive that, what they do is they shake and they shudder, yeah. and somehow shake off that little trauma and don't hold it in the body. We, the human beings, have the, the frontal cortex, and then we just chew on it for decades and torment ourselves in neurosis around it, and don't shake it off. That adage when we tell people, hey, go shake it off, go shake it off, but we go. literally don't do that. Ah, that's interesting. I have one client I love, 
And what he does is when he talks a little bit about something that has an edge or a trauma or some emotion, he'll just talk and he says, yes, you know, the other day when my son called me, and he just shakes off right in that moment, shakes off the energy that's coming up so that he can come back into some aspect of clarity. And literally when you shake the body, everybody, if you do that, shake the body and make a noise, what actually happens, you start feeling lightness and tingling that comes up. So it is releasing yeah. that energy. When wow. you're sick and tired of being under the spell and being caught in your dramas with each other and the same argument you've probably had a hundred times. Do something different. Yeah. Right. And that takes... Consciousness. And cojones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should call this this, this portion of the show. <laughs> yeah. Consciousness and cojones. <laughs> Who Are you going to be consciousness and oh. I'm going to be cojones? Or what? <laughs> Aha, but we have joint custody. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes, yeah, it's the desperation to not be entrapped and keep suffering. That's the suffering part. To keep doing it over and over and over. And sometimes this is not everybody's cup of tea. You know, some people just quietly, you mentioned a quiet walk in the cemetery. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, what does a cemetery do to help you well, for me, chill out? Yeah, for me, you and I, we have this beautiful old cemetery, rolling hills, yeah. beautiful trees, but there's something about walking through me through a cemetery is reality is right in my freaking face. Yeah. It puts things in perspective. I might be chewing on something and, and then being or in the cemetery. on you. Yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden, I will think about, wait a second. On the bigger picture, <laughs> what all these people have experienced, do I really want to stay in that state mm. right now when this can happen to me any moment when I need to show up on life? So walking through a cemetery to me wow. really brings perspective of, are my issues really that bad? Is worry really helping? How do I want right. to live? Do I want to really be present in my life? So that helps me put perspective in sometimes of, is this charge even something to hold on to? Right. Can I let it go? I think the cemetery thing is a stroke of genius because, I mean, a mortality meditation has been a great teacher to me. I, I don't mean sticking my nose in it. I mean a gentle, regular reminder that I've got to use by date. And you don't know what it is. And I don't know what it is. And it could be any minute. I mean, we've both watched Six Feet Under. Right. We, we know how it can happen. A chunk of blue ice falls out of the sky. Totally. <laughs> or We're getting chopped up in some uh, meat grinder. Mechanical, yeah. Or um, sticking your head out the sunroof of the car and having it clipped off by a sign. Uh, or dropping dead of a heart attack on a Sunday morning, you know, mowing the lawn. Exactly. All of that. And just to remind myself of this, that my time is limited. I'm going to die and be a million years dead. And what do I really want to do in this moment with this person who's making me angry? What really matters? That can get the steam out of it fast, right? Yeah. There's something about the walk through the cemetery. It's like, God, do I want to spend another minute doing this? Well, you know, I've said this in other podcasts and my appreciation podcast about an exercise I do with Rainbow, but that's a good one to use in partnership or friendship is like, wait a second. What if this person died tomorrow? Am I going to hold on to this Mm. stupid argument that I'm arguing or holding on to this pain or I might die? Let me show up in this moment and let it go. Come back into love. I remember when Robin and I were parting ways at the end of our marriage. We had a couple of months that we spent together because I was helping her pack to leave. We had to go through all of her stuff. And frankly, I think she dragged it out by making 
us both go through every, she said, I've got to go through every page. And I figured this is going to take months and helping her was a way of helping it move on faster. But we were bickering. She was using those months to really, really needle me about uh, wanting to end the marriage. And at one point, we're packing. We have a week left. And I stop her at the bottom of the stairs. And I just grab her shoulders. And I say, you know, Robin, I think there's something we really need to see right here. This is our last week together. We've had a 20-year marriage. We're not going to be in each other's lives in one week. Let's not make it hell Let's even try to remember some of the things we're going to miss mm. about this. And we both stood there and cried in that moment, a week before the end of our marriage, and it shifted everything. That's a beautiful story because also people don't have to be afraid to all of a sudden come back to that kind of love knowing that does that mean reconciliation right. or does that mean we have to get back together? No. It means that you're actually honoring what you did have sure. and end on a beautiful connection yeah. note. Sad, but beautiful. Yeah. And... I'll tell you, that took some of the steam out of that whole situation. And even other stories that you said, you just said sad and yet beautiful. You had to feel your sadness in that in that breakup. And Gee. you did some things to get the steam out of the sadness, like some movies. Oh, uh, yeah, after the marriage ended and she left, holy moly, there was a crater in the middle of that house you could have played around a golf in. I'm not kidding. It was... Just the inc most incredible hollowness that just came pouring in on me. When I turned around after her U-Haul truck cleared the bend and was gone out of sight with her and my dog wow. in the cab. Uh, and that's a whole nother story. I turned around and I went back into this big house all by myself for the next year. And I really did a lot of work during that year. I really touched Man, I want to, whatever lesson there is or lessons there are to learn right here, I want to freaking learn them. You want to feel them. You didn't, that was the big focus you, yeah. you were going to feel. And them. in order to help myself do that, I went out to a Blockbuster. Remember that? Yeah. So, so last century. <laughs> and I rented for like four movies that were stone cold guaranteed to make me cry because they were all about breakups. I remember uh, Love Actually was in there. I remember Heart and Souls was in there. And I can't remember the other two. There was something in the heart and souls that really got you. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. a scene of uh, loss and a sense of abandonment. Right. And it made me cry like a baby. And how'd that feel? Oh, man. When was the last time you cried like a child does? With your shoulders going up and down and your face in this rictus of pain and suffering. And oh, man, it felt cathartic. So why do you think that you were able to move through? You know, some people might be thinking when they hear that, yeah, but I cry that like that all the time, but I don't move through it. Do you th what do you think there is about the difference between not getting stuck in the wallowing of it or using it as cathartic and release? Wow. That's a great question. For me, I know we had a baby that died in birth, and I really felt at one point when I was getting a massage, this cathartic crying like a baby, just sobbing and weeping, and it came out. But all of a sudden, what I also realized on the other end was just not darkness. I also realized what I had in life. I had a beautiful partner, a wonderful, also beautiful baby boy. So I worked my way out of the, the depths through the steps of the ladder of actually what I had, becoming appreciative of what was in my life. Mm. And I think that makes a difference of people that wallow in or the aspect of I am 
experiencing sadness, but my whole life is not yeah. sad. There's a difference in that. I remember when my mother, when I was in high school, I had a conversation with my mom. She said, no, 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 I'm not going there. I'm not going to cry because if I start crying, I, I will never stop and I will flood the basement. Wow. Even at the time, I said, no, mom, I actually don't think you'll not ever stop crying. I, you you will. You'll go through it and you'll do it for a while, but you won't do it forever. And people, I just mean that by way of saying people are afraid of feeling what they feel because some of the rage is rageful. You know, some of the sorrow is I'm going to flood the basement and who wants to go there? Right. You know, I'm, I'm just having sympathy for what it is like you and I encourage people to do in the work that we do, encouraging people to touch in what's really there. And that takes courage. Tremendous amount of courage. And, in, and courage comes from a French word meaning heart, hmm. which is interesting to me about what are the body parts in our culture we associate with courage? Hmm. Yeah, usually the cojones. Right. Guys, get your cojones, get your balls. Yeah, down. or, you know, a backbone. Right, backbone. Or guts. Yeah, or uh, pick up your bootstraps. It means heart. And that's just an important little reframe for me around what courage is, is having the heart to feel what your heart feels, I guess. Yeah, the truth of really feeling what you experience. And that I offer a gracious bow to people. You know, what it is I'm asking them to do uh, by, in my case, follow your callings or get your passion back, your mojo. But what that really involves, some grief work, I think, is always in order. I think that's so important that you brought that up because we are talking about taking the steam out and we're talking a little bit in the beginning about anger, but always underneath anger, there's other feelings. Usually it's sadness and grief. So if people are really expressing their anger and actually this is one way to get out of anger if you're stuck in it, go access sadness and grief. Mm. People that are really stuck in grief, I help them go access yeah. your anger. And go, see, move go see the movie Inside Out, <laughs> which is an animated Pixar movie that brilliantly yeah. portrays the role that sadness plays in the emotional spectrum. Brilliant. Because right. sadness is right on the surface. We can see it. Grief is Anger underneath. is even more on the surface. Or anger, I, I look at it like an iceberg. Anger is right on the top of the iceberg. You could really see it. Sadness is right on the surface. Mm. And grief is underneath the water. You can't see it, but it sure is and there. And then some people would say that the ocean that the whole thing floats in is love. Mm. That's below even the sadness is ultimately what you're hungry for is connection and love. Wow. I mean, isn't that cool? And, and then you can go then, then love is the buoyancy. It keeps it up. It keeps all those emotions there. Right. Wow. Yeah. I love that. So that they're below, there's something even below the sadness. It's great to get to the sadness, but what's right on the other side of that? And what I also love about what you're talking about, because I know you so well, is that you walk your talk about that. You ask people to do it, but you're not asking somebody to do something that you haven't done before. Right. And I think that that's really powerful. All those nosy personal questions that I ask people in all of my works, I ask myself on a regular basis. Like once every two years, I go through the entire list of like 80 questions and I answer them for myself so that I'm, I know what it takes. It's just that. And feeling the feelings that you're feeling right now. Like just before we started this conversation, you told me that you were actually moving a month before <sighs> than I thought you were moving. I thought you were going to be here for Christmas and with my son and, and his girlfriend is here. And I was picturing that time together. 
And as on an earlier podcast, I, I said how my response is more loving and caring for you and happy for you. I shout out like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And yeah. another, a month earlier, how could you do you that? Know, actually, I really saw the pissed off part. Yeah, that, that was real. I thought I, I know. That, and that that's okay. You know, I know. It wasn't anger towards you. I know, it was I felt sa- it. Because I wasn't accessing sa- sadness at that moment, right? I was accessing the frustration and anger. Yeah. And very quickly, I could have got the sadness and the loss, which is grief. And but that, sometimes I need to express it. And my reaction, I think, says a lot about how you did that because mm-hmm. I didn't feel defensive. Like, I'm, I feel guilty and I got to defend myself. I almost felt um, a you little me a lot. celebratory. Mm. Like, cool, man. <laughs> it's so cool that you got that out and got to share that with me. And and I'm affecting you in that way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely saw that flash of anger. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn. And I can see people wanting to run for the hills from that. Right. And it's like, ooh, yeah. Well, yeah, and but I knew the, I was it was the delivery. Yeah. And I also knew I'm not going to get stay stuck in that anger because I have so much the overriding love and respect for you. I'm not going to yeah. stay stuck in the anger. So that's where a relationship can actually take those harder emotions. When you're in connection more and more with more positive, loving, kindness, generosity, cherishing, your relationship can take bursts of frustration and anger. Yeah. If it's there, the majority, there's no way Because the can ocean, take the it. whole thing's floating in is love. You and go. you know that and you feel that. So if love is absent and most of what you got is that anger, which a lot of relationships have. Or even just a lot of sadness and depression. There you go. Yeah. I've definitely known my sh- share of couples who've been stuck in depression together. Yeah. In fact, I uh, this may be a little tangent, but I met a couple when I was out in Boulder. And uh, they've been therapists for 35 years. And they were telling me how they've decided to make a change in their entire career and switch from working with couples in crisis to couples who are doing well and want to thrive. Hmm. Then an interesting change. Wanted to focus on the positive. Right. And work with couples. It's like your interest in starting to work more with the appreciation issues or the podcast because it's um, in some ways enlivening or fun, even yeah. as you put it, than some of the one-on-one therapy. And that's some of also some of John Gottman's study and his work of focus is not to stay so focused on the disconnection and the conflicts and the fights. Feed the bits of connection. Feed the aspect of what it is that you like and appreciate about your partner. Yeah, Those parts that actually brought you together play and funness you have to become friends again Mm. fondness and admiration as he calls it so we have to actually fuel that and that's a lot that i do in my counseling i tell people we'll look at some of your conflicts and so forth but we're not going to talk about the fight of the day i want to (laughs) find out what you still got or what you used to have and let's feed that what brought you together the things you love and like about each other exactly and is that the majority of what your attention is Mm. so it's also being able to look in a relationship to know that's what we have to feed so it could take the challenges and the outburst here and there but it can't sustain it if that's all that we have right it seems to me just partly comes down to just how do you spend your time you need to actually spend time doing the things that you really enjoy yourself being in relationship with this person when you're doing you know you just you enjoy yourself in relationship what are those things? It's like one of the questions I ask people in workshops is, you know about the flow state? When you're in the flow or in the groove, yep. um, you're absorbed. The you're, zone. You're focused, the zone. You're absorbed, you're focused, you're 
intent. You forget that you have to pee. What are you doing when you're having a flow experience? What activities put you in that state? Whether it's together as a couple or just by yourself, go do those things. Go do that. Don't wallow. It's like I remember when my mother would teach the German shepherds um, not to shit in the house, um, and they did. She would grab them by the snout and stick their nose in it. And I remember thinking it was so crass, <laughs> but it seemed to be effective. But, you know, you don't really want to do that too much. Right. It's sticking your nose in it. Instead of, like you're saying, feed that flow so that the flow connects you to other things that bring more flow or bring more connection. Right. Or that also feels good. Because one aspect of expressing of anger, when we're expressing anger, the cortisol dump that happens, there are studies that show- the stress hormone? Yeah, that's the stress hormone. And it's a dump that happens in the body. So what that means is- That's a good is, segue from the German Shepherd story, by the way, about- <laughs> The dump. I like that. <laughs> Taking a dump. I, 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 that's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> the studies show that it actually takes 20 minutes for that neoepinephrine to leave the body, that it can't assimilate it. So it takes 20 minutes for it to leave. So a lot of times what happens when people express the anger in relationship, they give it a little pause and then they try again within 20 minutes. And that's why it flares up like a match. Mm. We do have to take the time at least 20 minutes to let it to leave the body. And so that's a wonderful aspect of being able to take a break, take a time out, go self-care, yeah. go for a walk. Yeah, space is like the final frontier. <laughs> <laughs> I just think more couples need more of it what do you call it in your in your book um in oh, vital signs um, yeah yeah the title of the chapter that this passion in the context of relationship is called a spark needs a gap hmm. and it actually comes from my dad he was a chemist and he once in created in the basement of the house a van de graaff generator it was one of those things where you put your hands on it and your hair goes up. Oh, wow. <laughs> but one of his versions of this machine had two coils at the top, in between which a bright purple spark would jump back and forth. And the, Like a the, Frankenstein thing. Kind of, very much. And they were, you know, maybe six inches apart, and this purple spark would fly back and forth. And I used that as a metaphor for that chapter on passion and relationship and called it a spark needs a gap because it, without the space, the spark won't fly. Ah. And it's a nice relationship metaphor. And especially for my point in it, one of my points that space really helps a lot with couples. It's the parting that makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. It's time for their own creative pursuits and friendships. And then they bring that juice back into the relationship. Right. So many good things, and certainly during a fight. Right, exactly. And you have to ask for that. Mm. You know, right now, I think we're too charged up. I know I am. I would really vote that we take a 15-minute break. 20. Remember, we need 20. Okay, 20. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Let's just to be safe, make it a half hour. And for some of you out there, okay, the afternoon. You get these big dumps. Um, but not so long that... The message that's communicated by I want space is I'm going to use it to piss you off. I'm going to take four hours or let's talk tomorrow. I call it a healthy withdrawal in some ways. If you really know that continuing, it's not going to go well. And the people that do usually bolt, I tell them do a healthy withdrawal and say something like that. Hey, we need to stop right now. I use the expression if you can't, I can't access love right now. <laughs> 
I need a break. I need 20 minutes or let's come back at two o'clock. Because what I think is very important is a lot of people bolt or they withdraw, but they never say when they're coming back. Mm. So they never get back to it. So when they say, we'll get back to it later. That's called passive aggressive. Later never happens. And if the person comes back when they say they are, the other person is going to trust it. So if I tell my wife, I'll come back in two hours, and I do, then the next time I need a break, she's going to trust, let him go have his break, because he comes back when he says he is, and we're going to repair it. That's the thing. Like Most couples, they don't know that art of repair, so when they come back, they just flare up. That's another. That's a whole other podcast to talk about the repair and that conflict. And an interesting word when you break it down, that one, you're repairing. Mm. Ah, you wordsmith, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So that gap, yeah. that space is is so vital. And it's healthy. You and I, we get together three, four times a, a month. I, we have our, our ritualistic nights that we hang. My wife knows that. My wife has her own groups that she goes to, her writing group. And that space in between that we get charged outside and bring that back in the relationship it's so important. Yeah. I mean, just look at the last, my wife was in Denmark for two months. We were together one month in Europe. So we typically spend a couple months apart in the year when she's in Denmark. It's a wonderful little break for us. Not because we need it because we can't get along. It brings us more into our own connection. We, the fondness grows higher. There's more preciousness. Mm. We think about each other in a, in a wonderful light, but most of all, we give each other that space yeah. to experience the world the way that we need to. And we know it's going to be fine when we come back together. Mm. A lot of couples are petrified of having space. What do you think that's about? I think that the reason is because they're not comfortable being alone with themselves. Mm. Mm. And they fear that the other partner is going to go off and maybe grow more than them, find something of more interest. Mm. So it's self-worth. I know that I'm a good partner because I make it easy for my partner to respect me by things that we do and how I work on the relationship. So I know when she's by herself, she's not going to go ahead and look for something better. She's connecting with her world in a different way. So it's me having the confidence when my partner's away that we're good. That's the thing that a lot of couples separate when they're not good, they're not doing well, and of course it's gonna feel strained and fearful that the breakup is even more challenging. Yeah, I know though for a fact that of all the personal growth workshops I've participated in in my life, when I see people cry, they get to a place where they are expressing particularly that emotion, breakthroughs are happening. There's no doubt about it, is getting in touch with your emotions and getting it out in some fashion, especially when you can touch an original wound, you know? Core wound. Right. When you can touch that and cry like a kid, you are so on your way to a big growth spurt. And I just remember the photographs, for instance, that were taken at the beginning of the New Warrior training the Mankind Project's New Warrior Training, which is a weekend retreat. They take a photograph of each guy at the, in the first hour and the last. And the difference is, because they give you a folder of a lot of what your experience was during the thing. And that's what's on the cover, the two pictures next to each other. And it's profound just to see it on a guy's face, or they have ones for women too on their faces, between the, the tightness and the worry and the anxiety and the 
all the rages that can pile up in the soul over the course of, you know, a week or a month or six months of just life show up on your face. And then two and a half days later, after you've had a chance to cathart and they brilliantly guide you towards some deep emotional stuff. So there's a lot of catharting. And then the photographs at the end are transcendent. The face is full of light and they look uh, younger and they're smiling. It's like, there it is. They purged. They purged. And when I, whenever I have seen tears in a workshop, it's always uh, like watching a flower unfold. And you love to do that, that story about that woman that you were watching in the workshop? (laughs) Scott Peck, who wrote uh, The Road Less Traveled, wrote a book on community building called A Different Drum. And I went to one of his workshops in San Francisco. And there's 100 people in the room. And all they really do, the facilitators, is nothing. They watch while community develops over the course of, in this case, a weekend. And it goes through all the phases Scott Peck describes in his book. False community, uh, breakdown, uh, shadow emerging, real community develops. It's You watch the whole thing unfold. Well, there was one section where there's tissue boxes very strategically placed around the circle. And the woman next to me started crying copiously about something and really got into it. And I noticed from the people around the circle, they were vibing at me to give her the box of tissues. Making faces at you and stuff. Yeah, they were with their eyes and their little head nods. And, and and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because for one thing, I was entranced by this beautiful display of raw emotion. I didn't want to short circuit it in any way. No less follow the script that says we got to wipe it away. Exactly. And that I was being discourteous by not giving the lady a tissue Right. Um, no. You, you could cut off her process I, by doing that. I've been told by facilitators it isn't always a good idea to there, there people when they're suffering in a workshop. Don't comfort them. Don't sling your arm around them because you may ground them and it'll disappear. The same way that if you're having dreams and you wake up, they'll start disappearing the second your feet hit the floor. Mm. And that grounding yourself, in this case in your day, is going to make them evaporate. Same thing with emotional catharsis in a workshop. Don't necessarily reach, even though it's a perfectly wonderful, natural human impulse. That happens to comfort. It happens to me every day in therapy. When somebody is is crying, I never go after a tissue. I never point to the tissue. I've got five tissue boxes (laughs) in the office. One is, I want want one, they'll get it. Exactly. One is, I want people to learn to take care of themselves. You could take care of yourself. You could reach for it. I'm not going to do it. Don't wait for me to do that. Right. I'm going to be present with your expression. The other thing, as you're saying, is allow people to actually feel. Don't cut it off or let them feel this little unconscious signal of it's shameful to yeah. cry by I'm me telling you right. it's going to be okay or, or cut it off. Right. It's hard for people to not want to comfort and give advice and fix the sufferers. Right. Like, Fix means there's something broken. Is there something broken that I'm crying? No. And I think one aspect too is if if I'm not comfortable with my own tears, yeah, there the is. hell if I'm going to be comfortable watching somebody else's. Right. So I know as a therapist, there's all these emotions that I've got to be really comfortable with or I'm not going to take people to the depths of theirs because it's going to be too painful to watch or, or I can't relate to it because I haven't become comfortable with it. I'll be uncomfortable watching it. So I think some aspect of what you're talking about, too, is that own work, doing your own work of your tears emoting. You're going to be yeah. way more present 
with somebody else's emotions. Yeah. I mean, I would appreciate a facilitator even saying at some point, you know, when people cry, look at what that brings up in you. I don't know. You know, how do you feel about being in the presence of people who cry? What are your judgments about it? Or um, what does your gender say about it? Or what do you have to cry about? Mm. For real. You know, if you were going to break down in tears and maybe you've done it in the privacy of your own life, what is it about? What makes you do that? I even just ask the question sometimes, what theme in movies always makes you cry? That's a clue. That's all we're looking for is little breadcrumbs. And for me, it's um, people helping other people, Hmm. coming to support and help other people. That always makes me cry in movies. What else? How about you? No, I just feel the dreams is going through my mind. I cry, cry throughout that whole movie. That beautiful aspect of like when maybe a fancy or dream is actually experienced or serendipity. Mm. When serendipity happens, I always get oh. some some tears come up. It was the son tossing a baseball around with his dad that yeah. got me. Yeah, and that's part of it too. When something like that happens, a father and son exchange of love, tears come up because of my my relationship right. with my father. Yeah. And my relationship with myself. Yeah. You know, and here's even one I think for guys who I think are not raised to be comfortable with those kind of emotions, you know, or displays of emotions. It's like, how did you feel when your dog died? Right. I mean, I know guys who weep like babies when their dogs die, but they won't shed a tear when their father dies or when their marriage comes apart. That's true. But the dog thing or when their favorite baseball team loses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More guys cry when their sport team loses oh, right. than they will when they got divorced. I know. Not just cry, but go get wasted and blubber yeah. about it to a bartender. Yeah, What is that about? Oh. That's interesting, huh? Yeah. Well, maybe it's a safe way for guys to express emotions. That's true. Because isn't it? It's okay for a guy to cry, even a person on a, on a sports team, to cry when they lose. That means that he cared about it so yeah. much. Right. right. He's overcome with emotion. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's okay to feel the emotions out there. And I know people are cringing the thoughts of, you know, it wasn't modeled well for them. It didn't go well for no, them. Or they got no. criticized for it. They got shamed for it. You know, don't feel sad. I'll give you something to feel sad about. Oh, man. I did a consult with a woman a couple of years ago whose parents sent her to her room, she said, for any displays of negative emotions, sorrow, frustration, tears. She was punished, sent to her room, which is more than punished. It's it's banished. Mm. There's a banishment of it. That's right. And so that's what you're going to do to those emotions in your psyche. You're going to banish them. And so she's 40 years old. We're doing a consultation, a phoner, and she's saying, I have, I have this really strong intuition. I'm going to need all those emotions in order to be my full self and be the healer that I intuit myself to be and build a life around that. And she said, this is interesting, the term she used to describe what she perceived her work to be at that point in her life, soul retrieval. Mm. Taking her yeah, soul so back from what it was, it, and part of what was taken from her was the shaming around negative emotions. That's half her repertoire right there is banished in the psyche. And so she was judging her mo- emotions for years, those oh, negative decades. emotions. Decades. Decades. She was right. 40 when she saw me. Yeah. And probably judging other people's negative emotions. Yeah, probably. Right? Yeah. Classic projection stuff. I guess what we're talking about is courage, the courage to look inside and 
name what you see there. Just name it. Because what you can name, I think you can deal with. What you refuse to name is lost to you in a way. But it takes courage to feel what you feel. I mean, I think of the real men this and real men that, you know, and heroic qualities of vulnerability is a power. Just read Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. I mean, vulnerability's got a bad rap. It's really power. I've never seen that so clearly than in my relationship life. The power of admitting a vulnerability to a partner. I don't get shamed. I get loved. Right. That is a fact. Right. A partner will move toward me rather than away when I am vulnerable. And I share something, even if it's the kind of day I really had, or I'm scared you're going to leave me, or my dad beat me, or I cried over my dog, or my the Red Sox lost again. Right. And just let them see that. It's strength. It builds strength into relationships. You, Somebody moves toward you across the moat. And it's wonderful that you've had that experience because I know some men haven't. Some men that I counsel, mm-hmm. they don't. So I tell mm-hmm. the women out there, hey, be present when a man is expressing the vulnerability. You want that because it can trigger also fear and anxiety sure. in a woman of like, whoa, he's coming off of his white horse. Yeah. You know? As opposed to, let me hold that space. I've been asking my man, what does he feel? What do you feel? Exactly. What do you feel? You got to be able to take what he feels. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, because if you blame it, shame it, get angry about it, he's not going to want to bring it up again. Right. Yeah. And my own experience has been that when I've generally shared it, my partner moves toward me yeah. with compassion and open arms. Generally. And I think you have a of a very good way to also express it. I've I've heard you express it mm. before that doesn't come across with blame and a lot of resentment. Like you sink into that vulnerability to bring that person closer to you, not yeah. to push them away. Yeah, I had a therapist say to me once, so do you want to be right or do you want to be close? And that cut me to the bone. I mean, he just nailed me. And I remember saying at one point in another session with the same guy that I was being defensive when she would come at me with something I felt wasn't justified or wasn't right or I would get defensive. And he was calling me on that. And I said, you know, this was a court of law. I'd be, I'd have a right to defend myself if I felt that I was falsely accused. Mm. And he said, Greg, relationship is not a court of law. It's not fair. And I said, you didn't grow up in my family. Ooh. Mm. Not that that justifies that he wasn't, that he was wrong or anything. He was, I think he was right. But nonetheless, you know, you start with what, what you've got. And I grew up in a antagonistic family that way. Trying to prove. Sure. Family. I mean, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer. Mm. <laughs> but that is a great point. I tell many, many clients, hey, Greatest human addiction is the addiction to being right. Mm. And that's the thing. When people are focused on being right, they get the booby prize. That's all they get. They don't get more love. They don't get more closeness. They don't get more respect. They get to be right. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah. But then they're Mr. Right. <laughs> you know, there's sometimes I, I, I totally had that that addiction for, uh, so much in my relationship with my wife at times. The thing about what was hard for me was, I was, I was she said, why do you always got to be right? Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, because baby, because I am most of the time. <laughs> I am right. And, and she, she would just say, can't I, can't you just say, honey, 
you might be right. And I'm like, oh, but you're not. Just say it. And then we started playing with it. We would get into it, and all of a sudden, I'd realize something. I'd say, honey, you just might be right. And she was like, oh, that feels so good. Yeah. And it totally brought brought it down. Uh-huh. Like what we started off, that aspect, how to bring the steam down. Right. One aspect to bring the steam down is to do something like that with humor or with yeah. fun. Play with that. I know if I'm addicted that my issue is about yeah. being right, play with that. Say, honey, you know what? You, you're right. Go ahead. So either you bring the steam down or you bring the esteem down. Ooh, that's that wordsmith coming out of you. Yeah, baby. I should have gone into advertising. <laughs> wow, man. So this was fun. We went to a lot of different places. Yep. What's your last uh, offering Closing for people thoughts. out there? Yeah. Hmm. I just know just from my life as a creative person, it's about getting what's on the inside out. And I think the same goes for the catharsis that we're talking about in relationships and the pressures that can build and the stresses and the resentments and just the emotional boil over. I just think it's the earth can handle that energy better than your body can. Give it up to something bigger, um, whatever that might mean to you. Just get it out. Get it out, people. So we're talking about in a getting safe, it out. safe way. Exactly. That's the that's what we want the takeaway. Get it out. You don't have to spoo it out to somebody and blame them and criticize them. Get it out a different way, a detoured way. That's really healthy. For right. You. Yeah. And I think it will lead you back to yourself, big oh, time. Good. So everybody, enjoy that journey, getting back to yourself. Thanks, bud. I enjoyed it. You're welcome. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us.